Amen. Well, it really is great to be here today. Whether you're joining us online or in person, it is fantastic to have you with us. Now, for those of you that have been kind of tracking where we've been going in our sermons over the past few weeks, you'll know, as I said a little bit earlier in the SOFA interview, that we're in the middle of this sermon series called The New Normal. And so far, we've looked at how, as disciples of Jesus, can we follow the way of Jesus in this situation that we find ourselves emerging from at the minute as we emerge from this lockdown and as we emerge from this pandemic. We've been following what's called the lectionary readings, just the set readings for the day as we go through Matthew's gospel. And so far we've looked at how we can be obedient disciples, how we can be trusting, how we can be bold and how we can extend mercy to those around us. Now the context for our passage today is one that's really important and one that I'll set out in just a moment. But before I do that, let me just say this about this new normal that we find ourselves in. And I said this a little bit earlier. We are very aware that for lots of us, the past few months have been incredibly difficult. They've been incredibly isolating. For some, there's been crippling um, fear of, of loneliness of all kinds of things. And what we want to say as a church to you today, again, whether you're here in person or online, is if that is you or that's somebody that you know, please get in touch with us. You don't have to go through this alone. There's a church community here right in the heart of Newcastle that would love to pray and support you. So please do get in touch if that is you. Now, the context for these verses today from Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20, please do keep it open in front of you. If you cast your mind back to two weeks ago, for those of you that were with us, Jesus has just asked his disciples, who is it that you say that I am? And Peter replies, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And it's the first time Peter has said this. And of course, it's the right answer. And Jesus then says something remarkable to Peter. He says this, Peter, I am building my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. I'm building my church and even the forces of evil and darkness will not be able to prevail against it. Now, as I said a little bit earlier, we've seen this even in lockdown. We've seen this even in lockdown. So let me just tell you a quick story. St. Thomas's has not been open for public worship between March and July. At the beginning of March, a man downloaded an audio Bible and he started to listen to it at the beginning of lockdown. Two weeks ago, he came into church when we were open for private prayer and spoke to our church warden, John. And he asked John some questions, I think, about who Jesus is. And John told him to come back on Wednesday then when there was a service so that he could speak to me. This man returns on Wednesday and he has all kinds of questions about who Jesus is. And he speaks to our other church warden, Mary. He stays for our lunchtime service that we do every Wednesday at 12.15, and he encounters and hears something of the good news of Jesus. And he believes in the gospel, he repents of his sin and believes, and he gives his life to Christ. He goes home and tells his next-door neighbor what has just happened. Now, his next-door neighbor came to all of our Christmas stuff in December. He came to our carol service, he came to our Christmas extravaganza, And when when this man returned and told his next door neighbor what happened to him, he said, his neighbor said, I know that church. I went to all of their Christmas things. 
So they then came together to church on Sunday for the first time, um, um, together since lockdown. And the man's friend who'd given his life to Jesus on Wednesday gave his life to Jesus that first Sunday that he came to church since lockdown. And they both got baptized that day. Now, that is an amazing little illustration of how, even though we've been in lockdown, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now, this should not surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us because, as I've said, and we looked at this last week, the church is in lockdown all over the world a lot of the time, or it looks like it's in lockdown. You know, you think of countries like Iran, North Korea, China, where it's illegal to be a Christian, it's illegal to follow Jesus, and yet the church of Jesus Christ is growing. In fact, it's, it's pretty much true that it, everywhere where it's illegal to be a Christian, everywhere where you can be tortured for following Jesus, the church is growing. And pretty much everywhere where it's comfortable to be a Christian, the church is not growing. In fact, often it's in decline. Now, last week I read out this quote. It is not scientific doubt not atheism, not pantheism, not agnosticism that in our day and in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It is a proud, sensuous, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted prosperity. Now that hurts when we hear that because it's true. What we're looking at today in Matthew chapter 18. There's nothing comfortable about these words that Jesus is saying to us. There's nothing easy about them. These words in Matthew 18 are deeply challenging, but when we put them into practice, they force us to be the most loving, biblical, radical community that we could possibly ever imagine. So today in this new normal, as we go through this series, in Matthew 18, we're looking at how we do healthy relationships as a church. Now, let me just say this. As a church, if we can get these words from Jesus and put them into practice and begin to live them out, I think that these words have the potential to completely transform society. If all of society behaved as Jesus has laid out here in Matthew chapter 18, even if the church can just do this, then we can become a community of hope, of transformation, and a prophetic voice to the rest of the world and to a society that desperately needs to see how to do healthy conflict and how to love one another. So we're going to get stuck into these verses together. Now, before we go through these verses, let me just say this. I think these are some of the, the, these are some of the, the least practiced teachings of Jesus that the church follows. I know very few people that put this into practice all of the time. But as I've said, if we do, it can change our lives completely. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If a brother or a sister sins against you. Now, before we go any further, just think about those words that Jesus has just said. If a brother or a sister sins against you. Jesus is teaching this practice to a community, but it's not just a community like the Jesmond Croquet Club, for example, or a bowling club, or a patank club. This, it, Jesus is speaking to a church, and it's more than a community with a shared interest. The church is family, and that's why Jesus says, if a brother or a sister sins against you. There's a saying that I absolutely love that goes like this. 
For Jesus, the waters of baptism are thicker than blood. For Jesus, the waters of baptism are thicker than blood. And that is absolutely true. You know, Jesus is building a new kind of community that is a family where we love one another, where we bear with one another, where we extend grace to one another, where we remind each other of the gospel. And if you think about the language of the Bible, it is oozing with the language of family. We're adopted as sons and daughters of God. The New Testament refers to fellow believers as brothers and sisters. We're brothers and sisters. There's this remarkable bit in the Gospels where Jesus is asked a question about his family. And he points at his disciples. And he says, here's my mother, here's my brother, here are my sisters. And so these verses have profound implications for us because they're Jesus' mandate for how we live out family. Now, we say this in the creed all of the time. Every Christian church believes in the three creeds, Nicene, Apostles, and Athanasian. And in the creed, we say this, there is one holy Catholic and apostolic church. In other words, there's only one church, and therefore, there is only one family. There's one family. And that means that we, gathered with all of the believers around the world, are one family together, and think about how diverse that family is. People are in this family together, and they come from wildly different backgrounds, young and old, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, black and white, from Europe, Africa, South America, from every country, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and we're all in one family together. For some of us, it's difficult to think about the church's family because our own families are quite messy. Our own families are broken. There's broken relationships, and so us thinking about the church's family is really difficult. And you know, the church is made up of people who get stuff wrong. The church is made up of people who do sin. And that's why Jesus gives us these amazing verses from Matthew 18. But what if, what if there was a way when we hurt each other, when we get stuff wrong, to put a spiritual discipline into practice that would mean that we could extend grace and the gospel to one another, where we could remind people of how much Jesus loves us and offer a chance for repentance and for people to still belong? What if there was a way for us not to behave creating more division, but instead to bring gospel unity. Well, it turns out there is a way. So if you continue reading Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, the rest of the verse says this. If your brother or your sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you will have won them over. Now, let me say this. This is so counter-cultural. Who behaves like this in society? Think about the way that society at large behaves if they have a problem with somebody. The first thing that we do is that we jump on social media and we critique publicly. We love to name and shame people 
who have upset us. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that that whole way of behaving is completely destructive. It brings about no healing. In fact, it does the complete opposite. It often entrenches people in their sides and in their positions, and it makes everything so much worse. This is not how Jesus would have his church behave. Now, I'm not making a political point here, but we see this all of the time in politics, don't we? This isn't about left or right. But if somebody in a political party has said something that the rest of the party disagrees with, often they're removed from the party straight away. There's not a second chance or a third chance. People are just removed, often ostracized straight away. Jesus is saying that is not how we behave in the church because we believe in the gospel. Jesus offers a better way. So Jesus says, if somebody sins against you, go directly to them, just the two of you. Now, this is the bit that most people miss out on from Jesus's teaching. And the reason we miss out on it is because to behave like this takes humility. It's costly. It takes courage. It takes grace. But it offers people a chance to repent and to believe, and to hear afresh the wonderful good news of the gospel. Now, when we put these verses into practice, when we go directly to somebody, if we've got an issue with them, we find that relational issues are healed so much quicker. It's so much better when we do this. Now, let me just illustrate the power of putting these things into practice. Let's say that I'm in a team meeting with Joel. Joel is our fantastic youth worker. This is not a real scenario, by the way, before you start thinking that Joel is a complete mess. He's not at all. This is just an illustration. Love you, Joel. So me and Joel are in a team meeting, and I've been talking to the team, and all the way through the meeting, I've caught Joel sniggering and laughing and putting his hand over his mouth and whispering somebody to Alice, who sat next to him. Now, that's made me really upset because I think I've been saying something really important to the church staff team at this point. But Joel has just been taking the mic and he's been really upsetting me. But instead of going directly to Joel, what I do at the end of the meeting is I go to Lee. And I say, Lee, I cannot believe the way that Joel was behaving then. He so upset me. He was mocking everything that I was saying. And anger starts to build up within me. But then Lee who's not been offended by Joel at all, he's suddenly angry towards Joel as well. And now two people are involved in this triangle of relational mess. Now, I'm not happy with just taking it to Lee. And so what I do is that I take it to Phil and Francis, our wonderful team pastors, for prayer. When really I'm just having a gossip about Joel. But I say to them, yeah, I really need to pray about Joel because it's really annoyed me. Now, all of a sudden, Lee's involved. I'm involved. Everyone's upset with Joel. Phil and Francis are upset with Joel. And the whole situation, which was just a tiny molehill, has now become a huge mountain. It could have all been avoided if I'd just done a Matthew 18 verse 15 and gone directly to Joel. The whole issue would have been avoided. And it would have reminded Joel that although he sometimes makes mistakes, God offers him a way back. It reminds him of God's forgiveness. It reminds him of the cross. The other thing that doing Matthew 18 verse 15 can do is that it completely rules out any chance of misunderstandings. Now, I find that when we're upset with one another in the church family, 99% of the time, 99% of the time, it is just a complete misunderstanding. So what could have happened in that scenario that I've just laid out for you is that Joel was laughing at something that he watched on Netflix last night and he just couldn't get it out of his head. And had I gone directly to him 
to talk about it. He could have said, oh, I saw this thing last night and I just can't get it out of my head. It's so funny. I wasn't laughing at what you were saying, Ben. I wasn't mocking you at all. And then the whole thing is completely avoided. It rules out all of these misunderstandings. But had I not gone to Joel straight away, what might happen in my life is that I just get loads of anger building up and Joel continues to do things that might annoy me and I'm completely mis misinterpreting them. And after several months of all of this anger building up within me, from nowhere, my anger just pours out against him one day when he just does something completely innocuous. It all could have been avoided if I'd put Jesus' teaching into practice. The other thing that this teaching does is that it completely eliminates the chance for gossip. Now, gossip is a sure way to kill any community, and it's equally true in the church. It stops public criticism. This teaching from Jesus is so life-giving. It's completely community-transforming. Now, we don't just have to apply this to the church. I don't just have to apply this to the staff team or my family or whoever. Imagine how the, this teaching of Jesus could transform our marriages, transform our neighborhoods, our communities, our workplaces. You know, if your spouse is upset, you don't ring your mum and tell her first. Go directly to your spouse. If your friend at work is upset, you don't put it in the work WhatsApp chat or talk about it in the staff room over a cup of tea, but go directly to them. Think about some of the broken relationships in your life right now. How many of them could have been avoided if Matthew 18 had just been followed from the start? Now, if the church can behave like this, we can be a completely countercultural and prophetic voice to the world of politics, to media, to the art, to culture at large. This has the power to completely transform society. Now, what happens if people don't listen? Well, Jesus says in verse 16, if they don't listen, then take one or two people with you so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, again, notice how countercultural this teaching from Jesus is. If you've got an issue with somebody, you go directly to them and it's not resolved, you still don't have the license to go to your whole church small group and talk about it. You still don't have the license to go to the whole, your whole staff room and talk to them about it. Instead, just take two or three people with you. Now, this is the way that God's people should have been behaving from from the beginning. This verse here, verse 16, is a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. It's a direct quote from the law of God that Jesus is using. Take two or three people with you. Don't go to the whole community about it. Again, notice how countercultural this is. Now, in verse 17, the teaching seems to get quite interesting. If the issue is not resolved, Jesus says in verse 17, then tell it to the church. And if they refuse to even listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, Jesus' Jesus's intention here is not for the person that's at fault to be publicly shamed and for there to be some kind of hatred poured out on these people from the church community. There's not that at all. What Jesus is saying here, what Jesus is offering here is another chance for the person that's done something wrong to repent and believe. Jesus is offering another chance for that person to be reminded again of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, if that still doesn't work, Jesus says, 
says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, that does not mean that you, complete, you throw them from the outside, outside of the church community, and you never speak to them ever again. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. Think about Matthew himself, who wrote Matthew's gospel. His profession was a tax collector. For the last few chapters of Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been traveling around pagan and Gentile regions and teaching them about the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus loved pagans. Jesus loved tax collectors. Jesus spent most of his time eating and dining with his people. So what is Jesus asking us to do here? Well, yes, if you do something wrong and you're completely unrepentant to the point where it's got to this stage where the church community is involved, you might not be able to hold a position or an office in the church. But the church will still love you. The call here is for us to keep loving those who have upset us. As I've said, Jesus loved pagans. He loved tax collectors. All of the people that religious people looked down their noses upon, Jesus loved And so we're to keep loving people and keep telling people about the good news of Jesus. Now, what is the good news of Jesus? Well, Tim Keller put it like this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet, at the very same time, more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Now, the amazing thing about Matthew 18 is that this teaching from Jesus reminds us of this. Jesus is saying here that sin has consequences. Sin has the potential to run through a community and completely tear it apart. Sin damages those around us. You may have heard it said, do whatever you like as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Well, that saying is completely wrong. Everything that we do affects everybody around us. You know, you may say to somebody, um, take drugs, do what you like, it won't hurt or affect anybody else. Really? What about all the people that have been trapped in human slavery in order to get those drugs to you? Watch pornography, it doesn't hurt anybody else. Really? What about the hundreds of thousands of women who have been sexually trafficked into slavery so that you can enjoy your porn addiction? Everything that we do affects everybody else. Sin completely destroys. But God has made a way for us to be at peace with him and at peace with one another by sending Jesus to the cross. Jesus took on all the wrong in our life on the cross so that we could be rid of it and be free if we believe in him. And so we're to treat people like this because this is how God has treated us. Sin was destroying my life and your life, but God has made a way through Jesus. Now it's this truth that makes the church the most wonderful, diverse, incredible community of hospitality. Most organizations end up looking like the common denominator the shared interest, the shared behavior. The church is not like that. We all end up being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. It's only the gospel. It's only the truth of the Bible that brings about real inclusivity. 
Now verses 18, 19, and 20 tell us the kind of, the ch- kind of community that the church can be when we live out this unity. Whatever is bound on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. Now, this is set in the context of relationships. In other words, the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be like a lightning rod for heaven on earth. If you're to look at the church, you're supposed to see the kind of community that heaven is going to be like. It's supposed to be a little foretaste of the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 19 with me. If two or three of you agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Again, this is in the context of healed relationships. And then verse 20, the most incredible verse. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. You know, the Bible promises that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of unity. Therefore, the church is automatically united because we've been filled with the same Holy Spirit. We only ever live in disunity because we hurt each other, because we get things wrong, because we don't do Matthew 18. But when we live in the way that Jesus is calling us to here, when two or three are gathered, even Jesus is with us. His presence is with us. And I can bet you if Jesus was here right now, you wouldn't behave in any way other than what he said here in Matthew 18. So where do we land with this countercultural message from Jesus? Well, a few things. Firstly, let's commit here at St. Thomas's and whatever church you're from, if you're watching this online, let's commit to being the kind of community where we put Matthew 18 into practice where if we hurt one another, we go directly to the person that's hurt us and remind them of the good news of Jesus. Yes, sin destroys, but God through Jesus has made a way to deal with sin. Let's be the kind of community where we don't allow gossip to flourish. Let's be the kind of community where we we remind people, we remind each other that there's a world out there that needs to know the love of Jesus. And as we live this out, we'll become like a lightning rod for the kingdom of heaven to be expressed here on earth through the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to respond together now. So if you're here in person, you might want to do this at home as well. Can I encourage you just to stand just where you are? And Lee's going to come and join me for this. And Ellie is going to lead us in some live worship. So again, if you're watching this at home, please do sing along. And we're just going to ask God through the power of his word, through his presence by his Holy Spirit, to begin to release freedom, to begin to heal broken relationships. And so we pray that most ancient prayer of the church. Come Holy Spirit of God. 